0: Hello, and welcome back to the Heise Brothers devotional podcast. I'm David, and I'm here once again with my brother, Jonathan. How's it going, everybody? If you're just joining us, we are embarking on a journey through the Bible in this devotional series. Last week, we covered Genesis chapter 1 through the first Sabbath day early in Genesis 2. We talked a bit about the literary style of the creation account, discussed the whole outline of the seven days of creation, and uh, discussed what it means to to be made in the image of God. And we talked about the stewardship of our planet and and a bunch of other stuff. If you missed it, we recommend you go back and take a listen. However, listening to the first episode is not a prerequisite to this one. We want you to be able to jump into the podcast at any point and still have enough context for the current episode. So with that, uh, let's get started. Sounds good. To kind of recap
1: a little bit of what we talked about last week, um, we decided that we are taking more of a theological interpretation to Genesis, so rather than reading it as a direct newspaper account of this is exactly how it happened, we're looking at it through the lens of what does this teach us about God? What is God's character? What is he showing us in his word to us and for us? In addition to that, we're also looking at this through the context of this creation account being given at Mount Sinai. I messed that up last week where I said Ararat, but it's actually Moses coming down the mountain from Mount Sinai. So yeah, small
0: small retraction there. Small retraction. But, you know, this is a discussional podcast, so there are bound to be mistakes, so don't take everything that we say at face value. We encourage you to do your own research, and uh, if you have anything that you would like to point out to us... We do encourage you to engage with this podcast. We have a Facebook page. You can leave a comment, uh, like, share, all of that good stuff. Uh, so if you like the podcast, do share it with others and comment and, and engage with us. We, we would really appreciate it.
1: Hit, like, and subscribe.
0: <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> okay, so uh, a little bit more background information on sort of the book of Genesis. We, we know that, that, we think at least, that Genesis was written by Moses. We think it was written on the Mount Sinai Peninsula area. So we think that Genesis was written around Mount Sinai. Genesis is written in a narrative form with some poetry thrown in there as well. Mm -hmm. So that covers two of the three basic narrative or literary styles that we see throughout scripture, which are poetry, narrative, and prose. So Indeed, and we see a lot... Of cues for poetry in there, such as
1: the way the days are laid out in the creation account. So we see a correlation of day one to day four, day two to day five, day three to day six. And if you were to read that absolutely literally, it would be a little disjointed. But from a poetic perspective, it makes sense in showing the order in creating things. Order not so much in a literal sense, but in a this makes sense to me kind of way, if that makes, right. yeah, kind yeah. of a hard way to put it, but.
0: <laughs> right, so so this book that we're reading right now is not necessarily a newspaper like we were talking about last week, it is much more of, much much more of a theological idea that's being presented to you in poetry and in narrative, so it's a little bit different than kind of the historical and newspaper sort of prosaic, texts that we see in English today, but we will get through this together. Indeed. All right. So in the beginning of Genesis 2, we have the seventh day of creation, which is the day that God rested. And this is the, the Sabbath day. All right. So by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So, did God need to rest? No. No. no not in not, a
1: not physical sense,
0: of course not. No, of course. I mean, he yeah. he's all, an all-powerful being, right? He, so he doesn't he doesn't really need to rest. So this this is much more of God showing uh, showing us that he's finished with the with the work that he's done. Right. And he's showing us the importance that we have as created beings to rest. Right.
1: Exactly. And again, with the context of Sinai here, this is being brought down with the Ten Commandments. You know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So, well, what is the Sabbath? Well, we need a story for that to help keep it straight. Mm-hmm.
0: And the other interesting thing is that on the seventh day, in in contrast to the rest of what happens here in in you know the seven days of creation there is no evening and morning at the end of it so the seventh day technically has no end hmm that's a very interesting point I miss that so we we technically are still in the seventh day hmm of seventh day Adventists. <laughs> <laughs> we're not making fun no of no. seventh-day Adventists uh, no. they are their brothers and sisters in Christ absolutely so um, yes but, but yeah, so we, we are in the seventh day in that sense that the, that the seventh day never really ended. And that, that sort of brings it back to this poetic idea that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day. He's done creating, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's the era that we live in. So those other days that happened, you know, they, they weren't necessarily a literal 24-hour period of time. At least we, we don't think so. So Exactly. Let's look at verses 4 through 14. Seems like there's a lot going on in that particular chunk. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So here you have kind of a, an eyewitness account of of creation. Uh, one of the interesting things is that this is kind of a recap of creation, even though, even mm-hmm. though some people sort of criticize this and say, you know, well... Creation already happened, yet in Chapter 2 we have creation happening again. What's going on there? But this is just sort of a, a recap of, of what happened from a different perspective, right?
1: Exactly. I'd say we're moving into a much finer resource. We have the big picture before, and it's kind of like, okay, when this was happening, here's what happened inside of this. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like opening up the Russian dolls right? a little bit.
0: Yes, and then at, at the end of this little passage we have... God formed man from the dust of the ground, right? God made man from the dust. Mm-hmm. Right? So the dust is like not really that special, right? right. The, the the dirt, some people some of sometimes it says like the dirt or the dust. So the dust of the ground is is not, you know, I mean it's not nothing but it's next to nothing, right? Exactly. So it's like there's nothing special about what God made human beings out of. We're we're stardust.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think one of the big points here in terms of what's happening is that God creates us and we're being set apart from the rest of creation. You know, So there, even this has a lot of implications behind it in terms of, yes, we may be part of creation in one sense, that we come from the rest of creation, and yet the breath of life, of God's life, is mm-hmm. in us and God's spirit
0: is in us. Absolutely. So that, that word, that Hebrew word that, that is used here is ruach, yeah. Ruach, for um, for breath, and breath also means spirit. So mm-hmm. th- that's sort of this double entendre that is very intentional here that is not just God breathed air into our lungs. He also breathed his spirit. Yep. One, you, you could say life force, you could say spirit, you could say essence, um, all of those good things. But yes, um, God breathed his spirit into us. We are uh, made in the image of God, as we saw earlier and talked about last, Last week,
1: exactly. So. We get a very intimate image of that. For a quick side note, there's always a part of me that's wondered if "rua" is "rua," "rua," "rua." Yes, they gotta get the Yes, in there. So the <laughs> AC flame. <phlegm. No. laughs> You've got to get your
0: gut into it. Yes. <laughs> to
1: quote Veggie Tales, um, there's a part of me that has always wondered if it's a little bit of an onomatopoeia, just the sound of wind. <laughs> oh, that, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a... It's possible. Yeah. You know, it's possible. I don't, I don't know
0: enough about Hebrew to know. Maybe you yeah. can let us
1: know in the comments. In, indeed. <laughs> let us know if you find anything. Uh, there are definitely other languages that end up uh, using onomatopoeias in very different ways. So we think of the cow goes moo, but in something like German, it might be the cow goes r. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. absolutely. So... Moving on, we get this idea that um, God has created man separate from the rest of creation, and then we get a picture of what Eden looks like in verses 8 through 14. So we get a bit of a picture of what Eden is, it's and even its geographical context, which is very interesting. It's very much in a specific place in the Middle East.
0: Yeah. We, we don't exactly know really where Eden was, though. I mean... Right. the the rivers that are mentioned um, in the next passage, which maybe we could read the next passage because that's where he that's where God talks about the the garden. Right. So, we're we're now starting to talk about uh, Genesis chapter two verse eight. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He put the man uh, He had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow of the of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye for good for food in the, the middle of the garden where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, so we don't exactly know where Eden was. They may have known um, because a little bit later they talk about the onyx stone and, and the, the gold that's there, but, but today we don't really have a specific location for Eden um, my theory is that it was kind of around, like, we think about this in terms of archaeologically. Archaeologically, we know that humans migrated out of sort of the northern Africa area, right? Right. It's known as the, the Crescent of Life, where you see a lot of what
1: became of, like, Mesopotamia and part of Israel now. And it kind of curves around um, the desert that's in that
0: area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and another thing that's kind of interesting that I noticed... Um, as just sort of like a, a blending of science and faith. Uh, I, I read somewhere that North Africa used to be very, very lush, like where the Sahara is right now. Mm-hmm. It used to be marshlands. It used to be like mangroves uh, and the ocean came in and there we, like we, they've dug up whales and stuff that have been mm-hmm. found in the middle of, a, of the Sinai, of the Sahara desert and it's just really weird. But yeah, it used to be really lush. And now it's not. And I'm thinking, well, could that be sort of where we get the fall from? Hmm. You know, could that be part of, like, our the human understanding of, like, the ground is cursed? Yeah. And things dried up and became barren, and you had to really work the soil in some of these arid places, and you had to migrate away because you could really no longer sustain your thing. So anyway, that's just sort of a side note. But, um but yeah, so we don't really know where Eden was, but we know that there were these trees that God planted there, right? And in and in mm-hmm. a lot of the trees He gave for food. But then there was the there were these trees of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So why did God put these trees in the in the garden? Do you think?
1: Well, that is a very good question. There's a lot of debate out there as to whether or not this is a literal fact or if it's something else that's being referred to somewhat allegorical. Uh, there's honestly a part of me that leans a little bit more towards literal. I believe it's absolutely possible. Um, I believe that it's possible that even human beings are created somewhat separate from the rest of creation in the sense that we don't have a direct link of like what evolution looks like. I think it's possible yet that we could be some completely separate, but even in the midst of that, from The more literal side of things in this instance, I believe it's possible that God wanted to give us the choice to love and obey him. I mean, ultimately for me, I believe that love is the supreme ethic that God created us to be. But in order to love, you have to have the ability to choose evil. Mm, So in this case, you know, whether it's literal or an allegory, it's still this element of having the ability to choose something that's not god in order to love him.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I've, you know, for a long time I sort of leaned the other way. I kind of thought that the that this tr- these trees that were there were sort of this representation of, of something that we don't really fully understand today, but it it could very possibly have been an actual tree and eating eating over the fruit would have given you life in the in the form of the tree of life or it could have given you some sort of instant knowledge. I'm wondering Mm. if there were possibly other trees in in the garden Mm. that gave you various forms of of knowledge and understanding about different different things. We only know about the two though in terms of scripture. So a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon, where it came through the entire land of Avila, where where there is gold. So this is where I was talking about there's gold. Mm-hmm. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. Uh, it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So one of the a couple of the things that i read is that we don't really know where these rivers were we have a couple of we have tigris and euphrates currently in the middle east but we believe that they may have been renamed possibly by descendants of noah after the flood because if we take mm-hmm. the flood story literally the the rivers yeah. that you know the rivers that were in eden were possibly wiped away
1: true that's very true and you know what's interesting too we're jumping ahead a little bit but there are definitely other flood myths in a lot of other cultures as well mm-hmm. so that kind of adds to the idea that there was quite possibly a major flood that moved through given that so many other ancient cultures also have this narrative mm-hmm. but we're, we're getting a little ahead of a ourselves little, a little ahead
0: of ourselves we'll, we'll try yeah. to stay focused here
1: so one of the things that we were talking about here is that we have the geographical location and the context and we have an idea of things and moving on from that we get a picture of what Adam's purpose and instructions are. You know, he's told to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he's given other instructions in terms
0: of tending the garden and stuff like that. Verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will certainly die the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone well let's let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil we kind of talked a little bit about it before but so god says don't eat this now do you think this was a commandment that was meant to be for all time or do you think that there was possibly going to be a time when God said, Okay, we have grown together. You've demonstrated to me that you have you've grown close to me and that you are that you love me enough to obey this simple command of not eating the fruit. Now that you've hmm. eaten now that you have grown with me, you may eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and gain this knowledge. Do you think do you think that may have been part of God's plan eventually?
1: I'm not sure. I've heard it said, and I tend to agree with this statement that Christ is Plan A. You know, it, it's mm. not that God God created the tree and He told us not to, and then you know we messed up and ate from the tree, and God went, "Well, I guess I'll have to figure something else out."
0: <laughs> well, you know, yeah, Christ, Christ was always the the plan. For sure, uh, you know, at the very least, God already had that in mind. right. We know that, um, and we'll we'll talk about that in the next episode when we get to when we get to that part of it. but indeed.
1: So I think in some sense, we can get to what's going on and when we get to chapter three, what's going on there. But I think for now one of the takeaways is that there is a specific line that has been drawn for Adam in terms of what his relationship to God is going to look mm-hmm. like. right? And in terms, I don't think that necessarily that line ever had an expiration date to it, but it is significant that the line hadn't been crossed yet. Mm-hmm. We're, we're given an insight that it exists, but we're still before the fall.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the other, the other thing is that, you know, God did name this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, we know that even before the fall, evil existed. That's a very good point. It's possible that it was because of the fall of the Satan. Yeah. You know, the fall of the angel of, of Satan, who, who, as we learn about later in Scripture, had sort of a falling out with God because of his pride in wanting to be equal with God. And... uh But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves again. Indeed. It's hard to because it's hard not to get ahead of ourselves with some of these things because they are all sort of intermingled together and intertwined. And it's really hard to understand the background of the beginning without understanding the end as well and where, where this is going. Exactly. Uh,
1: There's a side where this almost ends up functioning like a Quentin Tarantino movie where it feels a little bit out of order and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, (laughs) it all makes sense now. And then you want to go back and watch it again because you know the whole story and you're able to put all these puzzle pieces again. So Mm -hmm. in one sense, thanks be to God that he created his word for us to be something where we continually get to know him with every time we can go through this and we get to digest this. Rather than you know just treating it like a one and done. Oh, I read it. You know, I've read the Bible. I'm good now. Right. You well,
0: know? and you know, our our the intention that God has is that eventually, as you read these things, as you become more knowledgeable in it, and as you grow in the Spirit, Scripture you don't read Scripture as so much anymore as you you is, as Scripture reads you. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're reading into Scripture, but Scripture is reading into you and and imprinting itself into your into your being and. And reflecting back at you, where you fall short, where you mm-hmm. need to grow, how you can grow, where you can gain wisdom, what wisdom you already have, what how your experience is also related into scripture. So by by all means, I mean the, this is a very um, as the gamers would say, it, you know, the replay value is <laughs> is very high, very high indeed. So moving on from there,
1: let's look at verses 18 through 23. We get this picture of
0: Adam or Adam finding a helper. Okay, yes. So, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. So here we mm-hmm. see that God is also creating animals in the same way, but there's no... God's breath or spirit right. put into them. So but God is God is making animals also out of the same stuff we're made out of. He formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the living the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam,
1: So there's a lot of different implications that can be read from this. There are definitely people that will use this as a basis for complementarianism. And at its worst, it's used for a patriarchal view, uh, denoting that women are lesser than men. Uh, I personally do not take that view in any sense. In fact, I think there are some other key things to really note what's going on here. But before we get to that, I want to start with a couple things going on. First, we note that um, God has created man and ends up naming him, you know? So there's this very significant element. I think it's Timothy Keller. He's very famous. He wrote The Reason for God, has noted that it ultimately we don't name ourselves, but it's God who names us. And that has a very significant thing that from God naming us, He gave us the power to name other things. So I think even though God knew what Adam was going to name all of the animals that came up, I think it was interesting that God allows Adam to have this relationship with animals as a part of caring for nature and to name them. I think by naming them, he's creating a relationship to them similar to how God is creating a relationship to us.
0: Absolutely. And, And God honors that. Uh, that step that adam takes in naming naming all the creatures so there's some autonomy that's given to adam that maybe um yet is that is not given to necessarily the other animals yeah right so in, in terms of what you were talking about before in terms of the egalitarian versus complementarian view um even you know even in the jewish tradition um there's a saying um God made woman not from man's foot to be under him nor out of his head to be over him, but she was taken from under his arm that he hmm. might protect her and from next to his heart that he might love her. Hmm. So there, there are arguments to be made for both complementarianism and egalitarianism. I think that God never intended for woman to be under man's thumb, the way that some people have sort of said this uh, to, you know, to be the biblical idea, right? Exactly. I think I, I think that as we see from here, God meant for man and woman to be in partnership with one another, right? The partnership has some differences, but it's, it's sort of a different but equal kind of idea. Now, I know that that carries with it a lot of stigma, but at the same time, there is an equality to to this partnership.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's also very important that Eve actually comes from Adam's rib from the perspective that that creates the equality in itself, that she is of the same thing. You know, she is not something separate. If she had been formed from the ground and breathed life into her, she would be something separate from Adam, but instead she is part of the same. So I think that ends up creating a very strong argument for a more, you know, egalitarian view
0: in one sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, there, you know, different versions of the Bible say different things. Like um, in the, the Amplified Bible, it'll say helper uh, meet, suitable, adapted, completing uh helper such as he needs. Uh, or in the Septuagint, it says a, a helper corresponding to himself. In the NIV and in NASB, it says a helper suitable. Uh, in the KJV, it says a help meet for him. So there, there are different. You know, it's 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 meant to be this. There's there's someone who is suitable to be on par with right? exactly,
1: and that also doesn't mean below in any means. Um, I'm forgetting the exact word that's used for helper there, but I remember that that same word that is used for helper is actually used in reference to God as he's guiding the people through the wilderness into the promised land. Mm-hmm. So even God is a helper,
0: which means that you know God is never below us right, in any sense. Well, and at the same time, throughout Scripture, we see this idea of servitude actually being an elevated and honorable idea, yeah. where... Christ Himself was the servant king, mm-hmm. right? He he washed the feet of his disciples, and that was something that gave that actually gave him honor to do. Uh, and God calls us to be humble in the same way. Husbands are supposed to love our wives as we love, as Christ loved the church, and so that is a self-sacrificial mm-hmm. love. That is a that is a servant's heart. That he is the washing, life for her. washing of the yeah. feet that is a self-sacrificial kind of love that, that absolutely um, points to a, a sort of egalitarian idea of, you know, hmm. the, yes, the woman is, you know, um, the woman looks to the head of the household, which is the man, but the man also serves the, the, the wife in love. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So with these
1: marriage ideas, we also get kind of a coda to this chapter in verses 24 and 25. We get implications of what the account is for. We get an idea of some of the reasons for marriage and a bit of an insight into the state of what humanity was like before the fall. So you want to close this out with verses 24 and 25?
0: Genesis chapter 2, verses 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they... Become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All of this scripture was read out of the New International Version, from my fancy schmancy uh, Life Application Study Bible, New and International Version. From uh, Tyndale House Publishers. Tyndale sponsored. House Publishers. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, but you know, maybe maybe eventually we can we can include an affiliate link. <laughs> yeah. uh, for perhaps to, so for you to pick one up.
1: Yes, at the moment we are not sponsored by anybody other no. than our own time and effort and money being put into this. But we definitely want to give a shout out to some of the very good resources that we're using. Right, and Yes, the Life Application Study Bible is a very good resource with. Over seventy different scholars from various colleges and people, um, even from
0: Wheaton College, who have contributed to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good, very mm-hmm. good resource. Awesome. So yeah, here we here we have kind of the uh, the idea, the first idea of marriage brought up, the first union between Adam and Eve, uh, the first man and woman coming together as as husband and wife, and it's it's a very romantic moment because it's the template mhm for all future marriages right indeed it's it's the template for marriage and we also
1: get another idea of holiness here because there's this idea of this specific lifelong bond that's being made as a covenant agreement you know so again this is something that shows that humans are set apart you know that's the exact word for holiness or being holy is to be set apart so to have this is a very strong implication of like what God's
0: creation is for and what he intended for us. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up for Indeed. us for today. So thank you very much for joining us again for another episode of the Heisey Brothers devotional podcast. We pray that the Lord blesses you and keeps you and uh, may his face always shine upon you and give you peace.
1: It's a good word. Amen.